1: What does it say in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 12? He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, here it is work out. Your own salvation with fear and with trembling. And here's the verse. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Let him work out what he's already invested and implanted in your life by the Spirit of God. Work that out. Let it be worked out. It's a wonderful, glorious treasure. You can't hide it. Jesus said, how can you put a candle in the middle of a dark room? You do that so that the light will shine and give light to the whole room. amazing is your
0: Welcome to today's edition of Truth in Christ Radio. Pastor Rob continues examining Peter's encouragement to the new Jewish Christians and tells them to always sanctify our Lord God in their hearts. We too, being Christian, are to acknowledge His holiness from the center of our being. And by doing this, we are sanctifying the Lord God in our hearts. As we work out our salvation, it puts the Lord Jesus on display. God gives us all the help we need to live this life by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he is faithful to complete this work. Let's join Pastor Rob with today's study.
1: When you suffer any for any reason, there's something in your heart that says, well done, well done. It's not because you've done anything wrong, it's because they did it to me and they're going to do it to you. But, Christian, don't feel like you've got to worry about persecution. Do you know how many millions of Christians have lived and passed on and never been beaten, never been put to death for their faith? The vast majority have never seen that kind of persecution. So we don't need, really need to worry about that, but just be willing. Say, Lord, you know, if, if I'm in a place where these kinds of things happen, let me shine for you. Let me, let me glorify you in it, because it very rarely happens. The extent of our persecution is somebody looking at us funny or making a snide remark. I've gotten them, too, because I I wear these Jesus shirts, you know, and sometimes I go to Wegmans. Most of the time, I get really encouraging things. You find out who the Christians are at Wegmans. (laughs) I'm walking along with my cart, you know, and I got all my stuff in there, and somebody will come up and say, love that shirt, man, I wish I could do that. And I'm like, you can, you know, because they're afraid. Because everyone sees it. Jesus is God. You wear a shirt like that, you're either going to get complimented or you're going to get beat up, especially in our culture. But, you know, nobody's beat me up yet. That's why I'm going to start lifting weights. I'm going to take my protein drinks and, you know, get all pumped up and just be this towering shadow. Are you going to mess with me? Jesus loves you, my friend. I'm only kidding. It's tempting. No, no, that's just the flesh. But you know, think of, of, of that. You know, be a, be a light wherever you're at and don't worry about all that other stuff. I, I've, as much as I've worn that, I've never had to worry. Most people in here have not had any troubles either. You know, we've got a few stories, but nothing of significance. So don't worry. Just serve Jesus Christ. And it can be lonely at times, being a Christian. But notice what Proverbs says in Proverbs 18, verse 24. It says, A man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And you may be lonely, but Jesus is going to stick to you closer than a brother, more than any human relationship, more than a spouse, more than a real blood brother. God will stick to you. He will cleave to you, and you can cleave to him. He sticks closer to you than a brother. And he says, and do not be afraid, verse 14 of back here in Peter, don't be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Jesus even said this in Matthew 10, verse 28, he says, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. It's like, why should I worry about what somebody may say about me? Why should I worry about somebody, what somebody does to me? In, in the end, because all they can do is take my life, but moments later, I'm in the presence of Jesus Christ. For, to be absent from the body, as the Bible says, to be present with the Lord, I don't need to worry. In verse 15, it says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you of a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness... And in fear. I love this word sanctify because when we think of sanctify, we, we've really hammered on this phrase a lot over the last several months. And the idea is separation. The idea, it's a, it's a, it's a Greek word, hagiotso, and it means to purify or to consecrate, to make, to make, um, to hallow. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed, separate, alone. Separate from all things impure. And I love this definition. It means to be separate from profane things and dedicated to God. Remember? Separate from something and dedicated to. It's not good enough just to be separated from. Now you need to be dedicated to with all of your heart all of your heart. What are you afraid of? To be completely dedicated, to be totally sold out for Jesus Christ. What are you afraid of? Are you afraid of losing a friend? Are you afraid of a family member turning their back on you? Are you afraid of an unbelieving spouse who's finally going to say, you know what, now you've crossed the line. I'm out of here. You be sold out for the Lord and let him figure all that out. Your heart before him but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Another rendering could be this. Literally in the Greek, you could read this phrase like this. But set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts. But set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts. Is Jesus Christ Lord in your heart? You may say that he's Lord, but is he? Is he Lord in your heart? In your heart. Not just in your life. Is he Lord, in your life, does he have his word governing your heart, your life, or is he just a part of your life? Christians who have just Jesus as a part of their life are usually the weakest, the most vulnerable to temptation, and are the first to backslide. Because they have not made him their all in all. Why? Simply because Christ is not that important to them, and their life is a demonstration of it. They don't want to be too serious They don't want to be too serious so that people might look at them funny. Notice that it says it's inward, in your heart. Underline that if you have to. Sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Because if we sanctify him first in our hearts, then the results will be shown and known in and through our lives. What does it say in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 12? He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, here it is, work out, your own salvation with fear and with trembling. And here's the verse, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Let him work out what he's already invested and implanted in your life by the Spirit of God. Work that out. Let it be worked out. It's a wonderful, glorious treasure. You can't hide it. Jesus said, how can you put a candle in the middle of a dark room? You do that so that the light will shine and give light to the whole room. That's the way we need to be. Let him work out. It's a command to us, really, isn't it? Work out what God has worked in. Let it happen. It doesn't take a lot. Just let it happen. Abide in Christ. Read his word. Be in prayer. And very naturally, supernaturally, it's going to start showing itself out. It's going to start leaking out of your pores into every area of your life. People are going to see it. You're going to be blessed. Everybody wins when that happens. Everybody wins. Everybody wins. When you abide in Christ and you let your light so shine, everybody benefits. You benefit because you know that you've you got that peace with God. You have the peace of God because you know you're doing the right thing. You've got, the, the slate is clean. Anything that you've sinned, you've confessed, and here you are before him. What a blessing to do. And see, this is the difference between the disciple or a disciple and the scribes and the Pharisees. Sanctify the Lord God in your heart. In Matthew chapter 23, it says, Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not do according to their works. For they say, and they don't do it. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and large and the borders of their garments. So everything is external. Everything is external. They got the little leather strap and they got the scriptures on it and they're wrapping it and then they're unwrapping it and then they're wrapping it. Then they got this thing on their head and then they, their eyes go cross-eyed because they're looking at that all the time. And, they, and, and I mean, not to make fun of them, okay? We love the Jewish people. I do. I love them. But they're no different than anybody else. They can be knuckleheads just like us. But they're God's people, and through them came the scriptures. So we, we love them and we pray for them. We want to bless them. Even if they reject the gospel, we keep loving on them, we keep desiring to see them come to Christ. They are the original branch, or they're the, 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 the olive branch, and we are just wild branches that have been grafted in. Isn't that what Paul tells us? But notice, so everything's external to them, not internal. Sanctify the Lord God in your heart, not just the externals. In verse 25 of that same chapter in Matthew, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside and the cup and the dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly. Beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. So everything was external, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Don't be like a Pharisee. Don't be like a scribe. Be like the disciples. Be like what God intended you to be and take it in. That's why when we read the word of God, it has to get in. And you're not going to know it unless you let it get in. Let it get in. Read it often. You know, I've never had such a great desire for the Word of God than I do now. And it's not just because, I don't know what happened, but when, uh, when all this thing was going on, the transition, I loved the Word of God. I really did. But all of a sudden, there was like an intense desire. I mean, I literally read it all day. And I love it. I sit in my office and I read for hours. Even when I'm home, you know, when I can sneak out and I bring out my Bible and I'm looking at something, I'm just always reading. I love the Word of God. Let, let that be. If, if your heart is not there, ask God to give you a, a love for His Word. It's not hard to understand. Just read it. Just read it. Even if you don't understand it, just read it. There's a blessing that you will receive even if you just read it. If you can read it and apply it, that's all the better. But by all, by all means, read it. Read it. Read it. More than any other book, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Don't just give Him a space in your heart. Don't just give him a compartment. Let him fill every space. Don't compartmentalize your lives. And we do that through many ways. We compartmentalize our lives with our spouse and our family, with our friends and acquaintances, our careers. Our careers are over here. We leave our Christianity at home. We go to work and we're, we're one way at home or one way at church. We're one way at, at the job. We, we, we do that in schools and even with our hobbies that we may have that we do ourselves or with others. We compartmentalize. Are you a chameleon? Are you acting one way at home, acting one way at the work work site? Are you acting one way at school? And then you go to church, and now all of a sudden you're this holy roller. Everything looks clean on the outside, but inside, what have you been doing all week? God knows. He's not angry with you. you. You can be grieved, but will you confess those things and finally turn away from that habitual sin of yours? That sin that you know has been separating you from God? That sin that you know in your heart has been wrenching you for all these years? When are you finally going to give it up? When are you going to say, enough is enough, God. Give me the power and the strength. I'm going to kick this thing. Don't settle for anything less. You fight it. You fight it to the very end, and you fight it with the, the Spirit of God in you and the power of God on your side. You fight it, fight it, fight it. Never, ever give up. And when you fall, you confess it, and you fight it again. And when you fall, you fight it, and you confess it again. And you just keep going. Do not ever give up. Let, it affect, let the Lord affect everything in your life. If it's not affecting everything in your life, maybe look and reexamine your life. Reexamine your relationship with Jesus. God demands total separation unto him, like a burnt offering. The Jews would take the whole animal for a burnt offering. There were some offerings that they would divide parts of it, and parts of it the priest would be able to eat, and the other part would have to be put on the altar. But a total burnt offering was the entire animal up on the altar, the whole thing burned completely. And see, that's what God wants from us. He wants to full our whole entire life. Let him sanctify himself in your heart that you are completely sold out for him because he loves you. Do you know he loves you? He knows what's best for you and me. And I love that. He, he loves us so much. He says, I know what the best thing for you is. The most fruitful life you're going to have is a life that's sold out to me. That's what He's saying. But when we put him in a box and compartmentalize him for certain areas of our life, he allows it, but it's not his best. And in the end, you're cheated. And then the world doesn't see the true faith. They don't see the real thing before them. And is it any wonder that they marginalize the church? Is it any wonder if they say, well, if you're a Christian and you're still doing these things, why should I be one? But when we show them, but we live the example, and, and, and it doesn't mean we're perfect. None of us in this room are perfect. The thing is, is we have to take serious our walk with him. Let him abide in us completely. Take it in and do something with it. Prayerfully <laughs> do something with it. There's a song on Caleb that I can't stand. I don't know why, but it says, you know, um, it's time for us to do something. You know, I just want to do something. I just want to do something. It's like, well, that's that's good. I I get it. But it's like, do something and be led by the Lord. Don't just go out and do something. Because you can do something in the flesh, and it's not going to do any good. Do something, but be led by the Spirit of God. And take a step of faith and do that thing, whatever it is. That's the way to do it. Don't just do something to do something. Do something. Be led by it. Spend time with him and then do something. And then whatever that is will be more effective. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense. The word defense is apologia. It's it's a a verbal defense, a speech in defense of what of what you believe in, of who it is that you believe in. And this is where our word apologetics comes from. Can you defend what you know to be true? Do you know the basic tenets of Christianity? Do you know the scriptures to defend the very basics of Christianity? The fact that man has sinned and is lost in need of a savior. Do you know where the Bible talks about the virgin birth? Do you know the prophecies of Jesus and the fact that he is God come in human flesh through the line of Judah, through the line of David, that Jesus was the only one who could pay the price for our sins? Do you know in the Bible where it talks about the crucifixion, the resurrection, the rapture of the church, the second coming of him physically coming to the earth, the millennial reign of Christ, the thousand year reign, and the eternal state for believers and unbelievers? Where is that in the Bible? Learn those things. Those are the basics. Know where those things are. In Jude chapter 1. Jude, again, the half-brother of Jesus, said this. He says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. To, to contend, it's sort of like a fighter ma- a fighting match, right, between two, two boxers. They're contending for a title. They're, they're working, they're, they're struggling earnestly for something. Give a defense to everyone who asks you the reason and the word reason there is so wonderful. It's the word logos. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word that he's talking about is the logos. It means the same thing in here. Be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a logos, a reason. What is your account? What is your speech? What, 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 what's, what's inside? What is your testimony? Think of how different Peter acted when he was in the courtyard when Jesus was being arraigned before the high priest that night after the Last Supper. Did Peter give a... uh, was he defending the faith? Was he giving a reason for the hope that lies within him? In Matthew chapter 26, remember, it says, Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him, saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, "I I do not know what you are saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, this fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied it with an oath. And I do not know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came and said to him, surely you are one of them for your speech betrays you. (laughs) And then he began to curse. Then he began to swear, saying, I do not know the man. And was Peter contending? Now, Peter's no different than us, because we make those kind of mistakes, too. But was Peter contending for the faith, or was he recoiling in fear? He was recoiling in fear. You know, when we look in Acts chapter 26, uh, Paul, as he is on his way to Rome, and you remember when he was in Jerusalem, he was ridiculed by the Jewish leaders, and finally they send him to Felix and Felix sends him to Agrippa, and Agrippa goes to you know uh, others, and he's being ping ponged back and forth between these different rulers. And finally, in Acts chapter uh, 26, if you recall, what did what did the Apostle Paul say before King Agrippa? King Agrippa said to Paul, "You are permitted to speak for yourself." And so Paul. Uh, reached, stretched out his hand, and he answered for himself. He said, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall today answer for myself concerning all the things which I am accused of by the Jews, especially because you are expert in all customs and, and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me. And then he goes on, and from verse 4 onward, he, he he starts to talk about his manner of youth, how he was brought up as a Pharisee, how he persecuted those who were not of that way. And that, and that for this reason, for the promise of the scriptures, that he's standing before him now. And then he goes on in verse 12 of that same chapter, and he tells Agrippa the very act of his conversion on the road to Damascus. So he gives him an account of what happened to him, his testimony, if you will. So he gives him this testimony. Now Paul is defending his faith. He's giving a speech. He's sharing what it is, why I am who I am. I was brought up this way. I was on the road to Damascus, on my way to persecute any of those Christians. And I was knocked down, and this bright light blinded me. I was blind. I was brought into to Damascus, and a man prayed, Ananias, to receive my sight. I did, and he tells him the whole story, and how he went and he shared with the people in Damascus. He was giving a testimony. He was defending the reason for the hope that lies within him. And then he goes on, and and even after his conversion, how Paul went through all all the different regions of the Gentiles, preaching to them. And at one point, Agrippa (laughs) says, As he made his defense before Festus, because Festus and Agrippa were both there together, Festus at one point said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. You are mad. Much learning has made you mad. But he says, I'm not mad, most noble Felix, but speak the words of truth and reason. For the king, before whom I also speak freely, knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention, since this thing was not done in a corner. And King Agrippa, he addresses him. He says, do do you not believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said this to him, Paul, you almost persuade me to be a Christian.
0: I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time when Pastor Rob continues our study in First Peter. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625.